Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. You know, it's hard to believe we are already in the beginning of April. And um, wow, what a difference this has been in 2022 compared to where we were sitting in 2021. You know, I've been very, very fortunate that, you know, throughout the last season of Fostering Change, I've had some amazing guests on, um, guests who have taught us so much. You know, I remind everybody, you know, when I first started doing a podcast three seasons ago, I actually was not one of these ones who thought all oh, this podcast was going to last. But the more I do them, the more I realize that, you know, it's just not my audience that I feel is getting educated about things, but it's actually myself. You know, um, after a Tuesday and a podcast airs, you know, I do go home and, you know, I talk with my husband about, you know, the podcast. And actually, my oldest son is normally the first one to listen to it. And we really do have a conversation. And I think that that's what's so important is that when you are having those sparks of conversation within your family. Um, it really can change how you look at things. You know, my next two guests, I actually am so lucky that I actually get to call them friends. They've been to our national center. They have toured it. Um, they are um, what I consider local celebrities, you know, when you turn on any of the, the news stations they're on. But, you know, I would like everyone to meet my friend David and Julie, and they are the authors of the five core conversations for couples. Let me tell you, I had my husband read it. I read it. It is definitely something that we need to read. Julie and David, welcome so much to Fostering Change. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. Yeah, we're so happy to be here. Oh, well, you know what? I'm excited that you are guests. And, you know, I want to dive right in because I will tell you one of the things that um, I seem to see quite often is people who are in the public eye, like the two of you are, like I am. Um, a lot of times they think that we live in this glass house and nothing is ever going wrong. And we have the perfect kids and the perfect family and we, you know, the best vacations. But, you know, I really just want to start peeling the layers off this onion. And let's really talk about our families, because I think that you have a lot that you could bring to the table when it comes to our listeners and our viewers. So um, why don't you guys start and tell us some of your story? Sure. So so Julie and I have been married 35 and a half years now. We yep. have four daughters. Our oldest and our youngest are both biological and our two middle girls are adopted. And the, the adopted girls happen to be biological siblings everyone's grown uh, grown up. And, and we, during the course of our raising our children, one of our adopted children, Natalie, who is now 26 years old, as hard as that is for me to believe, almost 26 years old, uh, was fairly evident early on, had some significant mental health issues. And thereafter, as she grew up and grew older, developed various addictions, and there was runaways, and there was drugs, and there was pregnancy, and all the rest of it. And um, you mentioned, you know, how people think everything's perfect, right? I mean, look at you, Rob, you look great. 
Um, every you're, you're, you're doing this wonderful nonprofit organization. People got to look at you and say, this guy can't have any, he's, everything's perfect. It's all smooth sailing. And I think that we felt that a lot of people thought that about us. Julie's a, Julie's a therapist, a family therapist, and has worked with kids with attentional issues and mental health issues for a long time. I'm a divorce lawyer. And, you know, you know from the outside looking in, you know, we got this nice family, everything's good. Uh, you know, we went to a coffee shop one morning and that was the morning after our daughter had, had been uh, charcoaled for blowing a 0.42 blood alcohol content uh, and taken to the hospital for um, alcohol poisoning. Yeah. So, um, and that's that whole, all of that in, in a nutshell is what gave rise to the book that we write, wrote mm-hmm. and all the other work that we're doing to try to help work with couples and families. Yeah. And, and really the reason why we wrote the book and why we're out talking to people is to let people know that relationships and families are tricky and that everybody has something that they're struggling with. Even if you have, you know, what seems to be wonderful kids and wonderful marriage relationship, there's always something that's difficult and um, you can't judge people. Um, I do a lot of, you know, family work with, with people. And before the pandemic, I would see people in my home office and people would come. I, we had a, you know, a, a nice place. I had a nice office and people would be like, oh, you know, there's something wrong with us because we're having issues. And I said to them, I said, if you walk out this door in this very nice neighborhood that I live in and you go into anybody's home, I'm going to tell you what you might see. And people were blown away. I mean, I didn't divulge secrets right. or information, <laughs> but there was, you know, a, a man across the street that had an alcohol problem that had been missing for a while. There was, you know, a, a, girl, that ran away. a girl that ran away that was missing that, you know, for, for several months, uh, one couple had experienced um, adultery. Um, another couple had physical, you know, had cancer that they were dealing with and MS uh, down the street and a brain tumor on the corner. The message that we want to tell people is that yes, there's difficulties, but there's also ways to be together as a couple and be together as a family that can help make those difficult times better. And you can really make it through difficult times um, if there's good communication and um, how important that is. You know, as a dad who is, um, I have five kids, and as a matter of fact, I only have one girl, so I could not imagine, (laughs) I could not imagine having four girls. I have one girl, I remind her all the time um, that she is a daddy's princess, and I hope I'm raising her to be the queen that she's going to be one day. Um, But, you know, focusing on parenting and how, you know, you two look at parenting compared to, like, my husband and I. You know, um, we, we've had this conversation, the three of us, you know, my husband, you know, grew up with parents of, you know, celebrated 56 years of marriage, you know, he's well educated. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't and has not experienced the trauma of mental illness mm-hmm. um, when it comes to children. Um, how do you do that? Because I do know one of the core conversation is be the, the parents and the partners, you know, mm-hmm. um, where, what, what advice do you give, you know, couples yeah. like me, our other couples who are watching and seeing this where, you know, they're having the same issues where they're having children who are, um, mm-hmm. you know, 
let's let's just be honest, David and, and Julie. The the pandemic brought even more mental illness than we ever could have imagined. And and how you guys seem to get through it or got through it? Um, where you know, for instance, my story, my husband and I are dealing with that right now with our fourteen year old son. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to deal with his mental illness mm-hmm. and us still being partners and parenting because it does put a strain on that relationship. It, it, it absolutely ab- it absolutely does. And, and you can imagine, I mean, Julie, it comes from the world of mental health, right? And, and whereas I come from the world of, you know, if a kid's acting up when I was a kid, that just means that there was, you know, they were weird, right? You know, and that's, that's what you thought or about. Or they were the a jerk. Jerks or weird or whatever. And they're trying to be that way. So they're trying to be difficult. We struggle in terms of, in, I mean, there's a lot of questions built into that question that you just asked, but we struggled. And I think the, the, the most difficult time in our relationship as our daughter was in her early to mid teen years, because there was a lot of, I'm going to say arguing, although a fair amount of arguing, disagreement mm-hmm. over how to manage her and how to treat her. Um, Julie has a lot more experience, a lot more knowledge, for example, about medications and the benefits of, of medications. And for me, I, I oftentimes felt as if this child was being given reasons to act a certain way and therefore didn't have to take responsibility. And the fact of the matter is, is, is it probably had, a, probably had a little bit of both, but certainly mm-hmm. the mental health stuff, I had to become more knowledgeable and aware of, mm-hmm. and it was not easy for me to accept uh, having to deal with that. Yeah, it was really, yeah. it was difficult in terms of our our being a couple, one of the things that we like to talk about is is uh, being the wide load. If you remember, you, you drive down the highway, right? And, and you see that big, wide half house in front of you, and it says wide load. And next to the wide load is that pace car, making sure nobody tries to get past it or make mm-hmm. sure there's no accidents. And so we we took turns sort of because we had to, we, we took turns being the wide load and the other one had to step in and be the pace car. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Rob, one of the things that you, that you said in the very beginning of, of your question, which is what do you do? You know, how do you handle two different people coming into, you know, this one relationship, right? I mean, you were raised very different than your husband. And even if you were raised similarly, there's going to be differences. And you have to remember that there's two different perspectives. There's two different histories that are coming together. And that really plays out in parenting. It plays out in finances. A lot of times it plays out in values and, you know, work ethic also is one of those things. And you're really coming together as two very different human beings, sometimes even more different, as you said, with your husband, Um, But the importance of, uh, you know, I I like to call it perspective taking, right? The importance of being able to kind of sit in someone else's shoes, right? So your husband, uh, I'm sure does that, you know, with you, okay, why is Rob feeling, you know, this way or acting this way in this particular moment? What about his you know, past or what about his current thinking is making him feel that way. And then vice versa, you have to kind of go to like, well, oh boy, you know, my husband didn't really know about mental illness. Like his family was, you know, you know, luckily didn't have that piece, but he must be very confused or not really understand what this behavior means. And you really have to come together and do what I call perspective taking as part of communicating with each other. 
You know, David, one of the things I have to go back to that you said, um, and, and, and I've had this conversation with you. Um, one of the things that I, I have an issue or had an issue, and I so I think I still do, is <laughs> blaming that excuse of my mental illness on my actions of how I act. Okay. So, you know, we have a son who, you know, has um, fetal alcohol syndrome. And I always remind him that just because he has fast doesn't mean that that's, a, that's an excuse for disrespect of right. someone. And, and so how, you know, because I do think, David, you and I are very similar when it comes to that, that it's like, wait a minute, why are you acting like this? And mm -hmm. don't blame it on the fact that you're ADHD or, you know, right. um, how, yeah. did, what was that aha moment for you with your daughter um, that you were like, okay, we're not going to play this game, the, as I call it, the blame game, um, yes. you know. I can tell you exactly when it was. It's funny that you're the first person I think that's asked me that question specifically. And I can still close my eyes and picture that moment when I said, there's two P there is, uh, she might be 80% right as to this kid, but there's 20% of me that's right. And I went, and we were in our, in our family room and there was a staircase that went up from the family room and my daughter who was 14 or 15 at the time, she brushes by me, you know, goes, and I think I was watching TV. So Brett knocks, knocked into the ottoman and I looked over and then she went up the stairs. She took her gum out of her mouth and she stuck it on the ceiling and looked at me and smiled. And this one here, Julie here says, she, she can't, she, it's, she can't. I said, I'm like, you know what my reaction was. Uh, that is just not acceptable. I, I don't. I don't care what her issues are. And and I really did. Um, I think I would have lost my temper a lot worse if she wasn't there holding my elbow, <laughs> holding my elbow down. Yeah. But it was that moment that that you say, hold on, just a second. Right. ADHD okay? only goes okay. so far. You've got, right. You've got mental health issues. You've got. You know, you're on medications. You've had struggles socially. There's other things that in the mix that I don't understand, and frankly, I probably will never completely understand. But you don't go sticking your chewing gum on the ceiling of the house that I'm paying for you to live in. Yeah. You know, no. if she's six, it's one thing. But this is a, you know, this is a, this is a kid with a brain that's somewhat developed. And anyway, so that was that was the moment for me. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I actually um, can remember, you know, and again, having children, five all from adopted through foster care, we know the trauma that they've experienced, yeah. the trauma they continue to experience. But I do also remember that aha moment for me when I was like, not going to happen. And it was my son sitting in the kitchen, picks up his sister's mascara and decides to just rub it all over our brand new kitchen counters. We had just had our kitchen redone. And I was very like you was I was like, time out. You know, I have, <laughs> like I have worked my butt off to give you a, a beautiful home and all that you, and this is the disrespect you have. And, and, and so I do think that it's up to us as parents to at least understand and explain to our children that, you know, we do understand that, you know, their, their, you know, brain is not functioning the way it's supposed to, but that yeah. doesn't give you a free pass of disrespect. You know, we're getting ready to take a break because when we come back, I really want to talk about how does mental health affect the entire core of our families? Because understanding that when you have one 
to maybe three children and even maybe one of the parents that is suffering from some type of mental illness that it actually can affect the entire core of our family. Listen, everyone, I'm telling you, my friend David and Julie, they have written this amazing book. Um, we are going to have the links of where you can get this book. I will say, read it. Let your spouse read it, your partner read it. And then what I think you need to do is do me a big favor. Then I want you to pass it on to that couple who maybe just might not feel comfortable enough to have these conversations that we're having today that they need to read about. We'll be right back. So, you know, everybody, I talk about this quite often, um, seeing the expansion that we have at Comfort Cases and to now know that we have a Comfort Cases UK team, I could not be more grateful. But what I'm so excited about is that on May the 24th, my family will be boarding a plane and heading to the UK for a really big event. So I have my friend Sarah, who is actually also the CEO and the founder of Comfort Cases UK right here with me today. So so Sarah, tell us about what's going on when I get there. Oh my gosh, we are so excited to have you come to the UK. I cannot tell you, we are just so looking forward to meeting you and all your family. And we have got a huge event taking place on the 26th of May. Um, we are introducing comfort cases to our community, to our network, and we are so excited to invite you to talk as our keynote speaker. Um, and we will be doing some fundraising on the evening, but most importantly is to spread the message of how important the work that Comfort Cases UK is trying to do and to continue all the good work that you've already been doing over there in the US. And uh, things are happening really fast here and we just cannot wait for you to share it with us. Well, I will tell you, I'm really, really excited. So listen, everybody, for those who are listening to our podcast or actually you're watching it on YouTube, I want you all to do me one big favor. I want you to go to comfortcasesuk.org and donate. That's exactly right. What you would have donated to Comfort Cases, you know, here, I want you to go donate to comfortcasesuk.org. We truly need to make people understand whether there's a pond that is separating us, we are all one community. So Sarah, I'm excited to come to the UK, sending lots of love and please comfortcasesuk.org. You know what? There's nothing more exciting when um, I take a break and I feel that what a good first part of this podcast, you know, um, really enlightening. You know, um, I have been very, very open about my own personal mental illness. You know, the fact is, as a kid who grew up the way I grew up, um, it, I would be an absolute liar if I said that I did not come with my own baggage. And, you know, my therapist every Monday, um, he, I get to unload to him. And as I've said to people and, and my videos that have gone viral, I talk about the antidepressants that I must take and how many times I have fallen into a well and even though I know in that well it's so dark that people are throwing me ropes I just don't see them to grab them and it affects my entire family my entire family yeah. it's been many years um it's probably about three or four years since I have actually fallen in that well and I'm so happy about that but I do want to say I do remember the last time that I fell into the well and I remember I had been in bed for almost two weeks and my young son came into the room at the time he was around nine years old and he said daddy i need you 
you know, it was that moment to hear him say, Daddy, I need you. And whatever, I can't remember what he needed before. It was that feeling the need of my child um, who actually pulled me out of that well. Um, and, you know, I doubled my therapy up that week and the week after and the week after. So, you know, the reason I bring that up, David and Julie, is because I want to talk about the effects it has on your family when it comes to mental illness. Because I know for my husband, who has never been to a therapist except for the family therapist that we go to, and by the way, I'm telling you, everybody, therapy is definitely worth every single penny. Um, I go to therapy, we do family therapy, um, but what I want to know is how did it affect your family? Yeah. So let me start with, with everybody looks back, you know, in their parenting career, when it's, when it's, when a lot of the raising your children is, is over or behind you and where did you, you know, what did you do well and what didn't you do so well? And, and I think Julie and I recognize that, that one of the things that we didn't focus as much on as we should have is how this, this child's mental illness and her behavioral issues not just affected us because we were acutely aware of how it was affecting us, but also how it affected our other kids. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a quick example. Now, you know, Super Bowl comes around every year, right? And what do people do at Super Bowls? They go to Super Bowl parties and in neighborhoods with lots of kids and parents with kids, what happens? They all get together and a family has a big Super Bowl party and the kids come and the parents come. come. And, and we remember very specifically, both of us do, and, um, and it, the heartbreaking part was, wasn't that we were not invited to these parties often, but was, was the, the recollection, again, I talk about snapshots in your brain and we all have them, seeing my youngest daughter, um, who probably was five or six years old at the time, watching her friends walk down the street to go to the neighbor's house and wondering why aren't we going? And the reason why we weren't going um, is because we weren't asked to come because people were unsure how our child was going to respond. And that as were we, we were unsure, were we. you know, and she it was, was a wild card. It was, it was, it was heartbreaking stuff. Yeah. And, and um, we did on occasion and, and in the book, you know, you saw the book and there's some letters that Julie wrote to um, our one daughter that we're talking about. And, and then I decided, well, we need to write a letter to the other ones. And so my letter was, you know, we, we figured it out. We know that we weren't as focused on the three of you. But I think if you're dealing with mental health in your family, you can speak more to this, yeah. is that you do have to be tuned in to the effects, not just on, the, on you as, as dad, but as as siblings, uh, with your with your with your husband, yeah, with your yeah. wife, with your significant other. Yeah, I mean every everybody's personality, everybody's mood, everybody's action affects everybody else. There is not a family member that is, you know, when you say you fell into the well and you were, you know, probably doing everything you possibly could to, you know, make sure that the kids' lives move forward, and your husband probably picked up a lot of the pieces or all of the pieces. But your kids also knew what was going on with you. They, I mean, it reverberates. And as I do a lot of family therapy and families are systems and everybody in the family affects everybody else. And there's equilibriums and, and it's just, you can't help it. And even if you, if you have a child that has mental health issues or behavioral issues and you think you are keeping that child, you know, in a bubble and the other kids aren't affected, you're dead wrong. 
because kids are super smart. They're, they know what's going on. And I always tell, you know, parents and families, I have families that I work with that are maybe getting separated or divorced and they haven't told their kids yet. And I, and I tell them, I said, 99% of the time that I work with families, when the parents actually sit down and talk to the kids, the kids say, I already knew. I knew that. Yeah. Kids pick up things. Kids are super smart. They know everything. So it, it really talking again, talking about it, whether it's in a therapist's office or talking about it at the you know dinner table, having communication and talking, you know, talking about hard things is what needs to happen. And it's also what helps families bond and be closer. Let me go back yeah. to this perspective taking thing again, because the, what you talked about when, when you were down in that well, metaphorically, that you're talking about, and we have similar feelings of guilt, right? I think in, 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 in your family, maybe, maybe, did one of your kids feel like, did I do this to dad? Was, that, was there a feeling that, gosh, he took all this on and now, now look at him. Maybe I shouldn't be here. In my, fa in my family, it was a lot of anger. I hate this sister of mine. She, she, because of her, we can't do this and we can't do that. And, and it gets back to what Julie talks about, that, that perspective and trying to, trying to realize what that person's perspective is, even if that person's a six-year-old, you know, is a six-year-old. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not so easy to do in the moment. Um, um, but as parents and partners, yes. you really have, that's something you really, I think you really have to work at. And, mm -hmm. and you can't succeed all the time, but you can succeed some. Yeah. And, you know, David, to hear what you said, you and Julie said about um, the parties on the street and um, not, you know, we've we've dealt with that as well. You know, yeah. the shears that, you know, um, the Super Bowl parties, you know, the the birthday parties that, you know, all the kids are invited, but my children. Mm -hmm. And it's because they don't know how the one child is going to react or what's going to, to trigger. And, and mm -hmm. so the avoidance that, you know, I, I feel like, you know, um, it's hard on everyone. It's hard, you know, I'm a social person and it's yeah. really, you know, Julie, you said to me, um, and it's something that I, I am going to be using. Um, and, and, you know, you said that there's Facebook and excuse my language, but then there's Assbook. And <laughs> yeah. I think YouTube yeah. will probably flag me for using uh -huh. a word, but, you know, <laughs> you said that. And one of the things that 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 just why I, I'm bringing this up is because, you know, as as someone who is on social media, who, you know, my followings on social media and I see those parties happening and I know that I didn't get invited or my family wasn't invited. It hurts. You know, and I think people see instead they see me doing Facebook lives and everything's happy and I'm all positive and you know, yeah, rah. But inside I'm I'm a little I'm I'm a little broke, a lot broke um at times because it's like, you know, I don't think people I don't think we we as humans give enough credit to each other, knowing that if you would have invited me, maybe I wouldn't have brought my children because I know one of them would trigger, but gosh, I could have used that, you know, that bond. So then you have that 
A book and then you have Facebook. And I wish you could show more of the A book. Uh Right. One of one of the things I specifically remember is we we were um, living in in our in a neighborhood that had like a pool, a community pool, very nice pool. And we would go. And I remember, you know, my our daughter that had the behavioral issues would would often, you know, be doing things she wouldn't and the whistle was blown and that kind of thing. So I specifically remember a little girl in the neighborhood that was her age um, was was near me. And I said, oh, Natalie is over here. And so she just said, said to me, she says, my mom told me not to play with Natalie. Yeah. OK, well, my heart broke. And worse than that is I knew the mother and the mother is a guidance counselor. Okay. And of all, you know, of all people that works with all kinds of kids in the school system that she told her daughter not to play with my daughter because of her, you know, behavioral issues. And I was, I was just so, I was hurt. I was angry. I was protective um, I think I, at that point, went, got up and like went over and did something like, you know, swam with my daughter or played ball with my daughter because I felt really bad. Yeah. Or she jumped and did a cannonball in front of the mom. So she got all <laughs> Yeah. I felt <laughs> That's like exactly it. what I would have done. And by the <laughs> way, Julie, we had the same. Uh, it's so weird how parallel our families are because we did the same thing. You know, we had a, we have a pool in our backyard. We didn't need to join the local pool, but we joined that local pool because we wanted the, the, the community bond with our children. And we had the same exact thing happen. And um, we never went back to that community pool um, because knowing that there was a parent who told their child that they could not play with my son um it it just it was heartbreaking to me yeah because you know and and i look back and and you know and and i have several of my kids who 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 have challenging issues but you know i i look back and it you know i get a little bit you know choked up because um i have a son who maybe once in 15 years has been invited to a birthday party. Yeah. 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 And the reason we have not had birthday parties for him is because the one time we did send the the cards out and every person RSVP'd no. And so I think that we as humans need to, as parents, do better, be better, and understand that, you know, as you you guys said this a little while ago about being in someone else's shoes, yes. you know, being in someone else's shoes. No, I don't ever expect a parent to put their child in a situation where their child will be in danger. And I yeah. do not believe that my children would ever it harm a child, you right. know, but I think sometimes that we we just we don't realize that the words that we say within our youth um, hurt really deep. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I do want to say, you know, without, you know, I try to look for without being a Pollyanna and, you know, rose colored glasses, I try to look for silver linings. And I do think that our other three girls that grew up with a sister that had severe mental health, behavioral and addiction issues, all have taken something with them in terms of tolerance, in terms of being able to handle people. One of our daughters is a business owner and she hires people that often have some anxiety, depression, mental health issues. 
And she knows, she learned from a very early age, she knows that, you know, there's, there's ups and downs and she knows that people need support and self-care is really important. I think it's made her a really good business owner. One of our other daughters is a, is a middle school teacher and she comes home with stories all the time and she runs things past me. Hey mom, what do you think about this? Do you think, you know, you know, that kind of thing. But I think it's made our, all of the other girls, even though it, it took a toll on them, it's created some awareness and some really good skills in their lives that they've been able to, you know, deal with all kinds of people because of that. You know, so as wrapping this up, I have a couple of last questions. Um, number one, how is your relationship with your daughter now? Non-existent. Yeah, not, I mean, yeah, not, not great. Um, we hear from her every once in a while, mostly when she needs something. So the last time we heard from her was probably two months ago, she was in a rehab uh, for, you know, drugs and alcohol, and she wanted a, a coat and some boots. And I sent them through Amazon. And I haven't heard from her since then. Um, you know, I, I think she's alive. And as long as she's alive, we hold out hope that one day she'll be able to come back to us and she'll, you know, we can have a relationship with her. Um, but it's been, it's been really hard. You know, um, um, the, there's an old saying, you know, the, the, um, the health, I, I mean, I'm going to botch this up. The, the health of the, the many has to take precedence over the health of the few or the health of the one. And, and as a parent, um, and I'm, you know, like I said, to go back and kick yourself for different things, but, but there came a time um, when, we, when we talked about what else we could do or what we should try, should we bring her home, should we not? And I made, um, I, we, we made a very difficult decision, which was um, we got to protect our other kids. And, um, and we had done what we thought we could do of course, there's always, you could always do more. And believe me, talking about people who don't understand and who are critical, you know, how could you do this and why would you do that sort of thing? But we made a decision uh, that, that we had given her the tools, that we had invested time and money and, and everything mm -hmm. else. And she needed to do something to better her, something. I, it didn't even have to be very much. Just, just yeah. take a step and never... It, to this day, as far as I'm aware, um, yeah. has not done it. Yeah. Now, part a lot of that is everything else that's been mixed into her concoction of her, of her personality makeup now. But some of it is 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 I still think old fashioned uh, stubbornness. Um, yeah. To some degree. Well, and, and, and mental and mental health. Mental I mean, she has severe mental health she issues. Does, no but um, you know, um, and and Rob, you know, asking asking how you know how do you do this as a couple? We basically lost a child. Yeah. I mean, she is still alive as far as we know, but we basically have lost a child, which is probably the hardest thing that any parent can ever say, right? You know, in terms of of loss. Um, I mean, in, in some ways, it's, it, you know, I don't want to say it's worse, but it's different because you say to yourself, you know, uh, uh, and it's less now, it used to be more frequently, you say to yourself, maybe this is the day I got to drive up to Pittsburgh, find her, throw her in the car, let's get her down here, let's clean her up, let's, let's just get back to try to, let's try to turn her life around, and, mm -hmm. and, and then you stop yourself. And you say, no, I can't, I just can't, can't yeah. do it. And we did, it. we kept it. We were, you know, like Charlie Brown in the football. We kept on yeah. going back and trying, you know, okay, if we only do this, so if we only do that, if we, you know, we, we do this. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still not giving up on her. 
I am still, as I said to you, if she's alive, there is hope that she can, you know, somehow turn things around and somehow be in our life again. I mean, I would love nothing more than to have a relationship with her. Um, she has a son that she um, ended up placing for adoption with a birth family relative. Um, and I keep on, you know, I keep on thinking, okay, well, she's going to turn it around because she wants to know him or have a relationship with him. That has to be the catalyst. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if she'll ever come back to us, but, um, you know, I hope so. You know, I, I, wow. Um, I, I know what you're going through. You know, I have that same son that, you know, I, I love him unconditionally and I hope one day he comes home. Um, and I want to do what you, um, said, David, there's times I want to go and pound the doors and grab him and stick him in a car and, um, but, but I do also believe that there is a part of stubbornness when it comes to people who have mental illness. Um, and so that is something that I truly, truly do know. Listen, this has been an unbelievable conversation. Everyone, I am telling you, it, it's why we brought Fostering Change on. I mean, to help um, bring about change, but to educate us in ways to help us move that path forward. And I know that some of you who are listening, um, you will reach out to me because you are going through exactly what my friends have gone through and, by the way, are still going through. Because I have to agree with what Julie said. As long as my son is taking a breath, there is hope. Um, and I know a lot of you that are watching and listening, you have that same exact feeling and going through this. Listen, David, Julie, you are absolutely the best. Um, again, guys, everybody, this is the five core conversations for couples. Um, there will be a link on our site. Um, it's a must read. It is a must read. I keep a certain number of books, as you all know, in my office that are at my where I can grab and because sometimes <laughs> I just need a little bit. This is one of those books. So when you do visit me and you see me, I will tell you that book will be sitting right here. And listen, um, thank you for being such good humans. Um, thank you, and thank you. you for writing this and continuing to just, you know, do what we all should do, which is lift each other up. Everyone, until the next time, this is Fostering Change. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, ComfortCases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.